like Juan Cinco. How are you doing, man? I'm good. How are you? Great. Good time for you still? Yes, absolutely. How are you? I am fantastic because I'm speaking to one of the great guitarists of a generation. Are you are you ready for more compliments like that or is that the quota? <laughs> no, great. Thank you so much. That's very kind. The last time I had the pleasure of interviewing you, it was by phone a couple of years ago, and you said something to me that cracked me up so much which was that you like to, to do guitar restringing and guitar related tests while you're doing phone interviews. You're figuring like, hey, it's a good use of my time. But Zoom kind of killed that for you, didn't it? It did. I was, I swear on my life, I swear on my life right now, I was going to get on the treadmill while talking to you. And I just couldn't get the phone position correct. So, because I have so much shit to do, you know, I have so much stuff to do and uh, it just, it just, you know, I don't know. I just couldn't, I couldn't pull it off. So I apologize for getting in the way of cardio. You can still do cardio. I don't mind as long as your mind is still there. (laughs) Jumpy, I'm talking. Uh Uh-oh. Sorry. I got to Hold on. Sorry. My phone, my phone rings and I got to. Sorry about that. The man is in demand because Sinner is such a great album, right? Thank you. What What I love about your album is kind of what I love about you as an artist and that you were clearly a very smart human being who likes a lot of dumb culture. So in other (laughs) words, there's skill behind what you do. There's many, many, many years of practice and hours of practice. You can't deny it. But then you also like a good fart joke. So it's kind of like balancing the highbrow and the lowbrow. Absolutely. I mean, I love such, you know, I think my comedy, like, look at life and look at things, you have to laugh. And it's so important. But I love just the dumbest stuff ever. Like, you know, and I'll talk to my friends just about the dumbest, like, you know, memes or like little funny stuff, you know, I just I I love it. So yeah. And I think that's, it's important. Everything shouldn't be so serious all the time. Yeah. And I think that really puts you alone in the guitar world. There's very few virtuoso guitarists that had any element of humor in what they did. Like Zappa is the go-to for most of that, but it's really a handful of guitar greats who still had funny song titles per se. Like most people wouldn't even touch the song titles as having humor in them. Right. Yeah. It's, you know, and everything's not so serious. And like, remember like going to concerts and like seeing Van Halen, they were having a great time, you know, but seeing like, you know, some metal artists and they're just so uh, angry and stuff like that, you know, and it's, it's great and stuff, but you're there to have a good time too, you know? For sure. So was Sinner an easy album to make, generally speaking, or a harder album to make? Because Obviously, you have to hear the stuff in your head before you put it down. It's not just noodling. (laughs) No, it's and there's no improv or anything on the record. So it is a very difficult. It was a very difficult album to make. And I I just trained myself just to 
do it as a complete take, no punch-ins or anything. So if I messed up, I'll start from the beginning. Wow. So, yeah, what you hear on the record is uh, it's just discipline I because I, I had so much time on my hands. So what I did is I just... I just was like training almost like, just like just practicing and practicing and practicing before I went into the studio. And if I messed up or if something wasn't right, I'd start right back from the beginning. And it was a really good way to do it. I just wanted to do things as a performance. And it was wonderful because I did some shows and we played like three songs off the new record. And it sounded just like the record because it was, you know, the record's pretty much live. So it really, it really was a, a fun, fun way to do things. Now, the record company that you're on, is it pronounced Varvados or Varvados? No one seems to know. <laughs> well, big machine, I guess Varvados. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure the Greek ancestors are pissed that it's called Varvados. It's Varvatos. But uh, yeah. whatever it is, did you know outright? that you were recording for Big Machine before you started recording? No, I always am recording. And we did um, the LA Rats. We did I've Been Everywhere. And it really, you know, was wonderful. You know, we had a great time making it. And it was for Big Machine. And Scott Bruschetta, the uh, president of the label, yeah. did some research on me. And he said, I want to get in the John five business. And I was like, you know, that'd be great. And cause I never wanted to be with a record label because I kind of did everything my own and yeah, it really worked out well, but um, being with Scott, you know, I just couldn't say no, it was incredible. I mean, big machine is massive and yeah, I'm honored to be a part of that family. The first non-country artist I can think of that Big Machine worked with was Cheap Trick. Am I wrong about that? No, you are correct. And uh, I can see you like Cheap Trick. Somebody's got to. <laughs> uh, and, you know, one of my favorite bands, too. And I was so pleased that they were, uh, you know, working with Scott as well. I just absolutely love, love, love oh my God, do I love like Dream Police album and, you know, all that stuff. I used to roller skate around. My dog used to shit in the basement. So I would put on that album and just roller skate in between the shit. And that's how I got so good at roller skating. The almighty Michigan upbringing where I'm guessing you had to do indoor activities and roller skating would be part of that. Yes, absolutely. And it was, uh, it was, you know, it's funny to say, but it was a wonderful upbringing. It was really nice. I played guitar. I played in all those clubs. I played everywhere I could growing up. And it was, it was really wonderful. It was a great upbringing. I, I had a blast and, uh, you know, I wouldn't change it for the world. I was very lucky. When I think about entertainment, I don't, can't, I can't think of a city that had more of an impact on the world than Detroit, but at the same time gets less credit for anything. Because when you say Detroit, they say Motown. But right. people don't really go straight to Grand Funk Railroad, who, despite legacy mismanagement, maybe the biggest rock band of their era, 
and then Bob Seger, of course. Like, there's this whole category of stuff right there. And then you look at comedy and you go, Sinbad is from there. And there's this whole comedy world, Mike Binder, et cetera, that is from there. And filmmakers, et cetera. Yet no one really seems to be unified on the same page and going, we're all from Detroit. Yeah. And of course, Alice Cooper, there was why Kid Rock and Sane Clown Posse, et cetera. Yeah. Eminem and, uh, you know, it's just, it's, it's wonderful and it's a hard working place. And, uh, it was a great place to grow up. And, and of course, Kiss got their, uh, you know, their big break in, in Detroit as well. Right. When you go back to Detroit, like through town, do you get a hero's welcome or do people just think of you as an LA guy at this point in time? Uh, a little bit of both, you know, a little bit of both. I've been living in LA since 88, so quite a long time. Right. Uh, what can I say? It's, it's a multifaceted career. You're very hard to define because Detroit guy, LA guy, I don't know. What genre do you play? I don't know. But <laughs> what I do, my favorite kind of guitar that you do play is the chicken picking. And did yeah. that, am I correct that that started with Hee Haw for you? Yes, that, that's what inspired me to play guitar, to play Telecasters, um, was Hee Haw. And I loved my dad, you know, listened to Roy Clark and Chet Atkins and Buck Owens. And, and I just really loved that music. And I thought the guitar playing was just so fast and burning. I was like, whoa, this is like crazy. And this was before I discovered Van Halen. And I remember fast it was because I loved Jimi Hendrix and I was like whoa this is like pretty insane and that's what inspired me that's what inspired me to play the Telecaster too is uh, just watching all those pickers on Hee Haw yes is that also where the influence for the fancy guitars came from did I see the the lava lamp guitar that you did yes I'm assuming that's not far off from Hee Haw influence no but I do have a Buck Owens telecaster they're red white and blue so yeah that's definitely from hee-haw and i do have a song called hell haw so it's a nice uh, little parody on hee-haw well you've brought up the van halen name twice that's that is my job in interviews to make people who have no business talking about van halen make them talk about van halen kind of stuff that's what i do and you kind of open up the door there so is it okay to ask you a couple of roth questions that are all polite or okay of course so Good name for a for a for a show is, you know, I'm gonna make you talk about Van Halen. I do that all the time. I did that to Jason Aldean. I said, "Hey, uh, pop quiz, who's the best frontman of Van Halen?" I did that to Lincoln Park. Do all that kind of stuff, and usually it leads to good things. Yeah, like you know, like, even if you're at the grocery store, you're buying hot wings, and you're like, "Hot wings? That reminds me of Hot for Teacher." I ever, uh, you know. So just you can always bring up Van Halen. The, the only time I think that really backfired was talking to Steve Brown from Trickster. And he started talking about Hagar and went, wait, wait, what? That's your fit. OK, good for you, Steve. You're a great guy. But uh, so, so you are the reason why people know that there's an unreleased David Lee Roth studio album. And luckily, we have heard three or four of the songs released over the last, you know, nine months or so. Do you get a notice every time one of those songs comes out or do you just find out, oh, cool, publishing? I, I don't get a notice, which is funny. I just found out like I'm Blabbermouth or something. But there's a song 
that I'm, I just can't wait for Dave to release. It's called um, Nothing Could Have Stopped Us. And it's about Van Halen. And it's just the most, it's my favorite song that I've ever done with Dave. And it is beautiful. I don't know why he's not releasing that one yet. And I just can't wait for people to hear that one because it's about Van Halen. It's just absolutely wonderful. I just am really looking forward to him releasing that one. Are all the tracks from that album you, Greg Bissonette, and Brett Tuggle? Yes. Yes. So you on guitar and bass both kind of like the DLR band album? Exactly. And, and we'll just get in the studio and we'll just knock it out. And we had a great time. We had a blast, a lot of laughs, a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, I'm just so happy that I had that cool working vibe with Dave is that we could just jump into the studio anytime and knock out some songs, you know, and I'm very lucky because he's, you know, not a lot of people get get a chance to do that with Dave. For sure. What I heard with the a different kind of truth album was that the band tracked all the instrumentals and then he in a separate uh, studio put the lyrics together and the vocals together. Did he track the vocals for this unreleased album in your presence or around the musicians? Yeah. Oh yeah. He was, I mean, we were all in there together. I remember we were just all in there together and um, that's, that's how it was. We were all just doing it together. Kind of like, you know, the old days and he wanted to do it like that. And it really, um, it really was a lot of fun. You know, we had so much fun doing it and it's one of my fondest memories. When most people talk about loving Roth's solo career, they initially talk about Eat and Smile and Skyscraper. And then a lot of people go like, yeah, he lost me at a little ain't enough. In my case, I love the DLR band album. It still sounds great. It's one of the heaviest things he've done. he's done, if not the heaviest next to a different kind of truth. Like the guitars sound fantastic. Most of the songs 100% hold up. It's great. This new stuff you did with him, it's great. So whatever you brought to the table, please take those compliments right there. But what I'm curious about with the DLR band album, it's kind of in that weird era where there was the internet, but not really the internet. Uh, If you didn't have a record company funding your music videos, you probably didn't make music videos. So so little info out there about the album, except who played on it, Slam Dunk was a single, and that's it. Was there ever a plan for you to join his band in the live sense? Oh, absolutely. There was. Um, I remember him saying, come on over. We're going to work out stage moves and I, I'm going to do a kick over your head and all this stuff. And I'm like, all right, that's awesome. And uh, I got a call to join Marilyn Manson yeah. and old Dave. And he was very supportive. He, he, he thought it was great. Um, but with that record, with DLR, um, it was it's cool because. Dave is a very smart guy and he was way, 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 way ahead of his time. He made all of those CDs. So if you have a CD there, he made like, they were making those in his back house. So he was, you know, it was what was at records. And I think that's so smart because that's what everyone's doing today. And I just, he was just so ahead of his time and so smart. 
Right. And the more people that I speak to who've played in his band over time is the more I'm hearing that every lineup of his band was basically full of changes and last minute plans. For example, the Vegas residency, there was supposed to be three guitars and there was two. The drum tech became the keyboard player. Then a different lead guitars came in. So what I'm getting at was towards the end of your Marilyn Manson run, was there ever a talk of you taking over coming back in the Brian Young role? Um, no, because I've always been working. Yeah. Always been working, but, and I'm very loyal to whoever I work with, you know, I'm oh, yeah. just, I think it's a very important trait to have in the music business is like, if you are, you know, working, the grass is not always greener and it's, it's really good for, artists to know that too because you know a, a gig with who knows the biggest artist in the world could only last you know a month or or two but who you're with could last a lifetime you know and that's I've always been very loyal very 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 loyal unless I get fired or something then I I gotta go but other than that I'll, I'll stick around and the last question I have related to Diamond Dave before I just compliment Sinner much, much more <laughs> is uh, looking at all the work you did related to him, it, you know, it was the late 90s and then you came back again 10, 12 years later. No one knows. Oh, let me ask that. When was this unreleased album made? Because there's been so many things like, like was it 07? Was it 11, 12? Um, well, there's a, a bunch of different times. So we always oh. we've always got together and wrote songs. So it's a amalgamation of different years and different times. You just cleared up so much right there. Thank you. That, so the, <laughs> the last thing I was looking to go to is every time I interview a Roth past or present band member, they were looped in by Bissonette, Tuggle, like, in other words, there's a recruiting network that it never seems to stop, even if you stop playing with Dave. Did any of that have to do with you, or is it the old story of you found the contact info in his book, sent it to management, and that was that? That's the true story. I was, nobody knew who I was, you know, and I just called out of nowhere, you know, and said, are you guys looking for songs? And it was like, pretty much the luck of the draw you know i and i sent those songs in i i pretty much sent slam dunk relentless and little texas in with no vocals and then you know he, he really dug it and then we just recorded them awesome well back to center do you already have the next album in mind or is it really one album at a time with you and one touring cycle at a time well, what I'm doing, I thought this was interesting. What I'm doing is I like to do a record and then I'm going to do a live record for that record. Like, like, let's say we'll use Van Halen as an example. Let's say Fair Warning comes out. Yeah. Then they go on tour and then they put out Fair Warning live. How great would that be? Like to have Women and Children First live. Fair Warning Live, Diver Down Live, 1984 Live. I mean, I just think it, that would be so cool. So that's just what I'm doing with, with my stuff. So 
will have Sinner Live. And that'll be the next record. We'll have a DVD with it because everybody watches music nowadays. And I think it's wonderful. I, I love YouTube. I love Instagram. I love all that stuff, you know? So uh, I think it's really cool. So looking at everything that you work on, keeping in mind that that work with Roth was done years ago. So you have this great solo career where you've been very prolific while working with Rob at a high level, while getting LA rats off the ground per se. How do you keep up all that energy? And I say that because so many people burn out even at the idea of doing one album and a hundred shows in support of it. I'm so, I don't know. I'm just wired with being so hungry. I'm so hungry. I'm so driven. And I'm worried that's going to go away one day. <laughs> you know, I am. I'm, I'm worried. I'm like, yeah, I want to stay home. I'm like, I hope that never happens. I don't think it will. Like, look at Elton John. Yeah. Look at Rod Stewart. Look at the Stones. They don't need to go out and tour. You know, they just love it. And it's just how they're wired. And hopefully I'll be like that and uh, always be like that. And I just, I'm still very hungry. Stay hungry, like Twisted Sister said. And the last thing, before I let you go so you can do that cardio. Because <laughs> you need to do that cardio. No, you don't. Uh, <laughs> do you have a TV recommendation you could pass on? I know you're a big treating Halloween as the month of programming. So I don't know if you're going to say something on Shudder or you're going to say something so off-brand. Please give me a TV recommendation. Let's see. I, I think that's a great question. And the obvious is what I'm giving you is like Squid Game, which is so wonderful. It really is wonderful. Um, another one, which was, which really scared me, actually. I was like, whoa, this is like crazy, is them. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I recommend uh, those two. Good picks. You and my wife are watching the same exact stuff. So, John. Thank you for your time. Thank you for you for the many years of great music. Looking forward to whatever comes next, whether it's chicken picking, whether it's horror, whatever it is. Thank you for being you. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Outrocast. Most people that I speak with, if they have 12 songs on the album, that means that they wrote 12 songs. But in your case, people who buy the vinyl get bonus tracks per se. I believe it's three bonus tracks for this release. So did you write 15 tracks in total for this album or did you write 25 and you pared it down? Yeah, no, I, I mean, it was, um, well, you know, I, I, you, well, there's two answers to that. I probably came up with 25 things mm -hmm. and then, you know, maybe 15 would make the cut. 15 on a CD is pushing it a bit. So, um, and when you, if people want to actually purchase the vinyl album the double vinyl then you give them the extra tracks and i i thought i had some pretty interesting strange tracks that would work well on the vinyl the one thing about the vinyl is that of course uh, you can't get all this on you can only put 20 minutes on a side and then you if you put more than 20 uh your sonic quality goes down yeah. you can't even make it as loud so uh, there's a slight re uh programming for the you know double vinyl album but in this case it worked out quite well because i had uh, enough material and i had those three extra 
you know, strange tracks to add into it, which actually go completely perfectly with the rest of it anyway. Yeah. Well, yeah. speaking of having material per se, you get increasingly harder to describe what it is you do. Because I would say most people in your position, being a member of one of the most, in my opinion, influential bands ever and commercially successful bands ever, they would coast on that forever. And then seeing all the success that you've had in the photography realm, then seeing that you didn't just do fiction with your literary work, you also did nonfiction. So there's other stuff you've done beyond that, creatively speaking. So it's kind of like, is Andy yeah. a musician? Is he an author? Is he a photographer? What is he at this point in time? How do you well, like- I'm all those about? things, yeah. Yeah. I'm interested in all these things. They're all forms of expression. And of course, they're all challenging in their own right. I mean, first and foremost, I'm definitely a musician. And, you know, not to sound too cute, but um, I seem to be able to do other things quite well, too. Um, yeah. You know, like photography. But, you know, all these things, if you want to be good at it, you know, you did, you do put in some time and you work at it. Uh, photography started, you know, like in 1979 for me when we were starting to tour in the US. Uh, but I took to it immediately. I mean, it was in me. And I, I'm working on a film at the moment that kind of explains how I got into this passion for photography that seemed to come from my teenage years watching so many European art house films. And that's where it came from. And they were all, pretty much all in black and white. And they, they were so thrilling to me when I was 15, 16, 17 years old as well as I was, you know, playing the guitar like mad. So in a weird way, although I didn't actually take up photography per se at that age, you know, it, it, it did emerge about 10 years later. And I was like, oh, yeah, I could do this too. So, um, you know, I'm someone who's interested in things. So, um, you know, I'd like kind of, how did you do that? I want to know how you do that. And so there is a sort of a weird logic to all this, you know. So it yeah. sounds like the problem for was, you isn't finding the creativity. It's finding the time for the creativity and which well, you're right. going to work on. It's right. There's, there's a lot going on and, and trying to keep it all under control. I mean, I do feel right at the moment a little bit, whew, I've got like three major projects going. How am I going to like stay on top of all this? But, you know, I have help. And, uh, you know, I think as an artist, I think you have to be fairly organized. You have to have some discipline. It's not all this wild, romantic thing like, you know, it doesn't just drop out of the sky. A lot of it's just hard work. <laughs> trying to stay, stay on top of it all. I mean, we're now in the realm of the computer world and digital and all that. So it's it's become sort of easier to um, control it all. Yeah. You know, it's not like I wrote a bunch of songs when I was 25 and I've forgotten what they all were. I mean, you know, this all all this stuff gets um, cataloged and, you know, we know where it is. So, you know, because I, I suddenly, I did that thing five years ago. What was it? No, it was called, you know, and then we can go back into the computer and usually find it. Hmm. So it, I think it's, you know, some of it's making your way in the world, the, the new world we're in, you know, well, it's not even that new anymore. It's been around for a while now, but getting um, more interesting all the time, like, for instance, I just got a few days ago an iPhone 13 with its cinematic thing on it, which is pretty amazing, I've got to say. Um, who would have thought you could shoot like that with an iPhone? 
And uh, so as I'm making a lot of videos these days, I, I can see that I'll be using that that guy a lot. <laughs> it's cool though. Add that, another string to your bow, if you like. Yeah, it's yeah. cool that you're able to combine your media. That, for example, one of the videos that you've put up for Harmonics of the Night that features your photography per se. Yes. So you've you're officially, I think, what they call a multimedia artist. Oh, I'll take that. I think I am. And I mean, the show that, I mean, we can't really go out and play shows right now because of you know what, but, um, you know, I'm on the phone with the agent today. So they're all being booked for Europe next year. And I'll be continuing with the sort of solo person, multimedia show. I'm looking forward to it. Outrocast. <laughs>